All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, all of you good, wonderful citizens and a lot of crusaders here of Crypt Nation, uh, a lot of people trying to usher in this whole new crypto revolution. Welcome back to another action-packed episode of the Crypto 101 podcast with your beloved hosts, Bryce and Pizza Mind. Pizza Mind, let's touch base, baby. How we doing? And that's not to exclude our dual citizens that are also members of altcoinalert.com. So... Welcome, everyone. I'm doing great today. We're seeing so many cool things uh, popping up in the world right now. They say necessity is the mother of invention. And we've had so many things that we're comfortable with, that we're used to, just taken away from us out of nowhere by this COVID-19 pandemic. But it's created opportunities. Opportunities for reconnecting with our neighbors, with ourselves, and um, noticing what we shouldn't be connected with, which is banks, which is other very uh, once trusted social platforms and institutions that are now blocking certain news and censoring certain people that are not going with the popular narrative. And more and more people are waking up to this now. And that creates opportunities for new sources of information, new trusted platforms. And there is a huge race to become the new established number one's credible source that deserves to be. So with us today, we have Nir Cabeza, the founder and CEO of Yup. Nir, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Thank you very much, guys, for having me. I hope everything's going well. <laughs> Life is good. Uh, where are you calling in from, by the way? I, I, New York, was it? Yes, New York, West Village. Uh, hell of a time to be in New York. I'm, I'm actually loving it. Things are starting to open back up and 
And you know, people talk about New York being dead, but I've, I haven't seen that yet. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty fun and 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 free out here in, in the West Village currently. Do you mean the news is painting an inaccurate picture of New York City? Crazy. Get out of here. Crazy thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, it definitely when I have friends who come back, they, they, they feel like they're about to enter a war zone and they're surprised to see that things are pretty much the way that they were with a lot more open seating and, and social distancing, of course. But um, yeah, it's definitely a beautiful summer. Good. It's really good to hear. Yeah. I feel like, you know, people are just naturally emotional. They're naturally just reactive. And so they always anticipate the worst and in our minds, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, right. You always are like, or for me, I'm thinking like, oh, what's the worst possible thing that might potentially be happening? And like, that's happening for sure. And then of no, course, I you, do. <laughs> I sleep under a desk now. I move my bed and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, subconsciously, that's also the, the content that we want to consume, right? So when, when you hear about a story of stability or, right. or progress within a specific neighborhood in New York City, that's not what's going to get a lot of traction. That's not what's going to get a lot of eyeballs. You want to hear about the, the looting. You want to hear about the the crime or the instability or whatever it may be. So yeah, it's that um, morbid curiosity. It's that, that fear mongering that the media just does, right. It preys on us because we always have this curiosity about like, Oh, I want to know something exciting and something devilish and all these kinds of things. And it's just a subconscious thing, man. It's just the craziest stuff. For sure. Um, But near, you've got a really interesting background. I remember uh, when I first met you, uh, I was just impressed because I had never met anybody. And I hope I'm allowed to say this. If not, I'll edit it out. But uh, a member of the Israeli intelligence community. Um, and that was kind of how you first, you know, your first foray here into computer science and all sorts of different stuff like that. So just before we even dive into the amazing, just beautiful, awesome platform that Yup is and how it's changing media and consumption of social media and stuff like that. Let's dive into who you are um, and, and kind of your journey to lead you to founding Yup. Definitely. Um, would love to. So uh, I'm Israeli-American, sort of spent half of my life in Israel, half of my life here, sort of going back and forth. I would say even Israeli New Yorkers and spent most of my time in the U.S. and New York um, and always been sort of in both worlds, always seen myself as sort of an international person. Um, and always very curious in, in things like computer science, game theory in particular around economics and a lot of politics as well. And so um, being an Israeli, I, I served in the Israeli army and uh, was very lucky to have the opportunity to work on field intelligence and not just field intelligence, but in very controversial areas around Israel. I was the kind of person who felt like I myself was was uh, in a bubble, an, an Israeli you know, upper class bubble of how you see the world, how you see the conflict. And definitely, you know, part of my goal in entering the military was to burst that bubble and see how things are really functioning at the most controversial places. So, you know, I had the opportunity to serve as a, as a sergeant, uh, both in the operation in, in the Gaza Strip in 2014, and then afterwards uh, as an officer in, um, or as a commander, you know, different terms in Israel, uh, as a commander um, in the West Bank. And, and both of those were very, very eye-opening for me in terms of you know, understanding my own identity, understanding my people and, 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 the, and, the, and the news that we face. Um, it really did burst that bubble for me. And I learned a lot um, in that time, you know, being in the intelligence community, I had a lot of friends who were very involved in cybersecurity and cryptography and were extremely passionate about Bitcoin and a little bit of Ethereum at that time. 
while I was in the army, I, I had the opportunity to sort of learn these things to a, to a basic degree and, and, and invest in them and sort of understand what's going on where I was really curious about what was going on here, but really didn't understand the technology to the fullest extent yet. Uh, it was when I got out of the military and started studying at Columbia, which happened um, summer of 2016, uh, is really when I would say I went fully into that rabbit hole, started hanging, hanging around people who were very passionate um, about Web3. And, and really, you know, what hooked for me was um, having decentralized organizations, the whole concept of governance on-chain, DAOs, uh, sort of controlled by the people, uh, I found to be super interesting. I, I really, you know, was driven to the economic sort of almost capitalist primitives that make up the blockchain technology, um, but how they're then used for a lot of humanitarian purposes and a lot of fairness and transparency involved with them and democratization. For me, that was just a beautiful mix and, and the kind of thing that I, I wanted to put my whole life into. Um, and, and since then, really spent a lot of time uh, in the space and my whole my whole sort of four years at Columbia was was primarily uh, you know surrounding uh, crypto. I had the opportunity to be a partner in a small VC and consulting firm. We invested in a lot of early stage uh, crypto projects, um, both at, coming out of Israel and the U.S. and and that really you know opened my eyes to how you look at these startups and how you try to evaluate them. That went incredibly well, but I would say a lot of that has to do with where the market was in 2016 2017. And uh, around late 2017, I decided that it would make a lot more sense for me to almost do a 180 and focus on the academics around what's going around the space and sort of understand it better myself. I felt like people were uh, looking at me as an expert in something that I myself did not know at the depth that I would like to um, and really saw the opportunity to not only be uh, to learn from, from the technology from an academic standpoint, but actually contribute to that at the, at the, at the college level because... Uh, Columbia and other universities really being slow to start a lot of um, robust and sophisticated education platforms or uh, uh, programs around um, around blockchain. So uh, at the time, I was elected president of Blockchain at Columbia, sort of an organization on campus that does all things crypto. And through that, got really involved with anything blockchain related on campus. I was lucky enough to be a teacher's assistant of the first blockchain tech class in the electrical engineering department. I had the opportunity to be a mentor for startups in the Columbia IBM Blockchain Accelerator. Um, our organization, Blockchain at Columbia, also ran various um, uh, lecture series and courses, especially before Columbia had enough classes. You know, people would really come to these and try to learn as much as possible from these with a lot of great guest lectures and so on and so forth. Um, and just generally throwing events on campus that, that really allowed me to uh, dive deep into this community and really know a lot of the people uh, in this space, which has been, you know, one of the most exciting things about it uh, for me. Um, I, I've been super interested in sort of the, the financial implications that come with crypto. But for me, the thing that really sold me and that what I'm very passionate about is these decentralized protocols that allow you to achieve things that you just could not without them um, and have this inherent value and utility for the users and participants involved. Um, and so that's really where, where my focus is. That's where most of my mentors and, and the projects that I'm passionate about um, uh, rally around. Um, and really what got me started on the on the path on, on Yup. Um, yeah. Very, very, you know, thorough background. It sounds like you've just, you've come at it from so many different angles and you are the archetype or you are the, you know, kind of that poster child of, you know, you've got the computer science, you've got the economics, you've got the community building, the leadership, and now you've got Yup. So tell us, Nir, what is Yup? Certainly. So Yup is a, is a second layer social capital protocol that rewards users based on the engagement and opinions that they give on chain 
And, and through this actually reflects and represents uh, influence and social capital uh, for all participants, for all data points and all URLs across the web. So it's really a... I, I don't uh, think a lot of people will understand what social capital is. Um, certainly. I, I'd be happy to jump into that. So essentially, the, the way that it works is that Yelp is tracking your activity across the web. When you rate things, when you like them, when you follow certain users, it's tracking those actions and, and you can actually do them directly from our products or from the sites and the platforms that you love. And so every like, every up, post, all that kind of stuff, you're exactly. tracking and you're scoring. Exactly. And when other influential users engage in a similar way, they like the same piece of content, they support the same uh, user, they, um, you know, they think and or rate a certain piece of, uh, of content or, or, or location in a certain way that you actually get rewarded in tokens and you actually build influence for yourself in a particular category. And so, you know, just to, just to take that back a bit, Really, Yelp is predicated on one important insight, and it's that influence will be one of the fastest growing asset classes of the 20s, but that its uh. market is highly inefficient. So that you know, our influence online has become this ridiculously valuable thing, both from an economic standpoint and a social standpoint. But the actual market itself and, 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 and the way that it functions is highly inefficient still. And we see this inefficiency in sort of two main ways that I think people will understand. One is like influence is largely illiquid, so, you know, if you're a small time influencer, let's say you have 8,000 followers, even you care about your influence and you want to be able to monetize that, but it's not very easy for you to do show, do so. And that is even more the case for curators rather than creators. And this is an important aspect of what we do, which is that if you're liking things, if you're retweeting things, if you're the one who's rating things, there is close to no way for you to actually be able to monetize that. Um, and, and we think that that's really at the core of the problem here. Um, the second that it's largely mispriced. So, you know, from a market standpoint, the, the metrics that determine the value of influence online are enormously inaccurate. So actually looking and trying to measure social value based on the amount of likes that something has received or followers or stream count or, or views is as proven to be incredibly inaccurate and, and largely misleading that most of us treat those as being much more true and valuable than they actually are. Um, and that that is sort of leading to a lot of the problems that we see around influence online. So you think about yeah. things like fake news, it, it, misinformation. Yeah. Yeah. And it almost makes me think of like the black box or the kind of the shrouded veil behind like advertising analytics. Right. So if I'm an advertiser, you know, I, I just have to trust essentially what the platform that I'm advertising on tells me what they, how many views I got, how long the average view was and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, behind a walled garden of data. And so is Yup kind of coming at it saying like, hey, we're going to bring down the whole veil and everybody's going to see everything uh, regarding the engagement of a certain piece of content or something like that? Am I on the right track? Definitely. And, and just to touch on that walled garden thing, because I think it is really relevant in this case, is not only does that have a lack of transparency, but it creates misaligned incentives where what, what, what the platform wants and what the platform wants to display is very different than what the user would benefit from. And I think the best example of this is in 2017, Facebook was selling um, more space, more advertising space to sorry, more than uh, uh, 30 million millennials that don't actually exist. So they were actually providing, like giving you space to advertise to 30 million more people than like physically exist in the US at wow. any given time. And so a lot of that has to do with the fact that you have this fake activity, bring that down because it actually increases the numbers of engagement and they're going to make more money on it. 
but you as the as the advertiser or the marketer are are being hurt by that in a very you know there's really a lack of clarity there about what's actually going on because you're putting the trust in Facebook to identify users to censor users to 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 you know determine the the value of a user from an advertising standpoint and we think the the sort of big issues and and then you know going to the transparency point that you made you know definitely a big part of what Yup is doing is actually making all that clear and available and not just not just available but actually legible to all participants advertisers other users and so on and so forth so it's one thing to actually be able to see engagement it's another thing to be able to understand what that means from a social value standpoint and data legibility is definitely something that that we're very focused on um, in addition to that from the transparency standpoint like most marketers highlight um, measuring the ROI from influencer campaigns as being their largest challenge. There's actually a survey where around 78% identify that as the biggest challenge that they face, despite the fact that they've been tripling their spending over the last two years on influencer marketing, right? Influencer campaigns. So you really see that lack of, of you know, that opaqueness around influence and that mispriced nature of influence itself around that marketplace itself. So even, even without Facebook or without the information that Facebook or other platforms may know, there just seems to be a, a lack of clarity in terms of how valuable an influencer is, how, how successful a campaign has been or will be when we launch and so on and so forth. And, and that's really something that we hope to tackle with this transparency. Yeah, yeah it's a, so many good points there that I just kind of want to uh, regurgitate real quick. One of those, the, the mispriced, extremely mispriced value of social capital that's something that I don't even understand very well. For instance, when Bryce and I started as the host of this podcast, you know, it took it took a lot for me to convince me that I can actually make a living doing this. And then Joe Rogan's podcast just got sold for or bought or sponsored whatever for a hundred million dollars. Dave Portnoy is now visiting the freaking president of the United States. <laughs> um, but Crypto One Hundred One here, we've been voted uh, best. Crypto podcast for the past three years by the Blockchain Influencer Awards. Yet, you know, we don't have our title belts. I don't have my invite to, the, you know, visit Donald. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You have one unheard message. 
Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Trump of the White House. So it's probably all got lost in the mail with all the nonsense going on at the post office. So, you know, I'll keep waiting. But, you know, how do we really value what we're doing here? Bryce and I do this for the love, mostly. You know, it's great that it pays our rent on top of it, but what really is the value of bringing this information and having influence? I know we've got you know thousands of people in Crypt Nation that trust us to make good decisions. And fortunately, they have come our way and we do everything we can to take good care of them. But, you know, just thinking, you know, we have a rule in our group that there's no ref links allowed because that's something that is kind of a conflict of interest. But I wonder how many thousands of people we've sent to crypto.com and Coinbase and Trust Wallet and Exodus, you know, which are four platforms that we always recommend for new users. How many millions of dollars in revenue have we generated for those companies that we're not properly getting a piece of? Doesn't matter. I don't know. But I'm hoping hmm. that something like Yup can become mainstream and grow and help us understand this emerging market of influence because even those who are in the space like me, I, I don't understand it. So Definitely. in terms of like reviews and opinions and stuff, we're all used to going to Yelp to leave reviews. How is Yelp the same or different compared yeah, to Yelp? Definitely. So I just I just wanted to touch on that point you mentioned about influence where, you know, one of the things that we think isn't a problem as well is that there's a generalization for a lot of these metrics. So the amount of views that you get or, or likes or whatever it may be that don't really allow you to express your expertise. And I think this touches on, on Yelp as well, right? So when you rate something on Yelp, there's no, there's no, it's not taking into account how much you understand that specific subject, right? So for example, you guys have these followers, you have this brand, you have this community. It would be safe to say that you should be very influential and, and have a large influence on, on opinions that relate to crypto. And so if we're rating a, you know, a, a Bitcoin cafe or a business of some kind that relates to crypto on Yelp, your guys' understanding and support within the community and reputation when it comes to crypto, but it does not do that, right? So if I go to Yelp and I know everything about Italian restaurants because I'm an Italian chef, it's going to treat my rating the same to account how much I really understand that thing and my activity and, and sort of track record across other platforms. Right. So, you know, I could be the biggest podcast host for everything Italian restaurants related. It's everybody else's. And it will do that on Google Maps and, and anywhere else where you have those kinds of ratings. Um, and in Yelp in particular, you do have some badges and things that identify users as sort of more more uh, important. But it's doing that across the board. You know, if you're an influential person in anything about what you know about cars or mechanic shops or whatever it is, right? So really trying to, to silo down influence to specific categories, expertises, and influence, you know, in, in industries that, that people have uh, certain reputations in. So, you know, that really being one of the big differences. The other one, you know, just talking about this platform agnostic nature, 
is that really there's there's a zero sum game happening between different platforms where you know the data that's collected on Yelp is very different and purposefully siloed to the data that's collected on something like Spotify for you guys or something like Twitter you know for you guys or, or other influencers um, and that's by design because they really make their money on that data and don't like but that really hurts the user in our in our in our experience because you really have to start from scratch in terms of building status and reputation on these different platforms. If you guys started rating on Yelp tomorrow, you're starting from scratch. There's not very good way for you to leverage the expertise and reputation that you have from other platforms. Uh, Actually decentralizing this whole process puts the power in your hands where you can actually take that influence with you, take that status with you in particular subjects and leverage it on other platforms without having to start from scratch. That also takes power away from the platforms themselves. You know, for example, what we're seeing today with TikTok, I have a lot of friends who are TikTok influencers who are spending most of their time thinking about ways to convert their followers to a different platform like Instagram Reels or something, you know, that where they don't have nearly as much influence because they're concerned that, you know, I'm American, I'm going to get banned from TikTok, I'm going to lose a lot of my, my reputation and followers that I have there. How do I migrate that over to a different platform? You know, so that's an example where the government stepped in, but there's plenty of examples where the platforms themselves are making those decisions, you know, a censorship on YouTube, censorship on Twitter, of all kinds that we've seen. It really takes, you know, this is a way of putting the power back into the user's hands, you know, by really making this a, a disintermediated platform agnostic protocol, um, you know, really focused on the reputation around a specific identity. Um, yeah. There, yeah. And it's not just uh, a rating system that you guys have built, but you're also doing content curation as well, which I thought was a brilliant aside. Uh, so what was the thought process behind selecting these initial categories for your feeds? There's some really interesting yeah. stuff to be found, especially in the brain food category. That's that's my favorite category. Um, you know, really the idea there came came mostly from users. Users were eager to have some sort of aggregated feed of not only their content, the things that they've liked, but also other users. Um, and 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 from there, you know, really we got a lot of feedback that that the type of users that were very interested in Yup and particularly interested in seeing these feeds they sort of soft content like food. You know, when you think about nutrition, like you shouldn't eat too much junk food. That's really how we feel about content and, and, and the way that we approach those feeds as well, where, you know, you should really watch what you consume in terms of, of content. And we felt that, you know, uh, by aggregating content from different diverse feeds, but that those feeds can play certain uh, uh, roles and functions for users themselves. And we really look at feeds as the way you would look at like playlists on Spotify. We think that it should be something that is specific to a, a specific goal or purpose that you want. Get to see anything like that um, in social networks where I can really choose to see, you know, maybe slightly more sophisticated, intelligent content that isn't necessarily as entertaining or funny or easy to read. Or maybe I just want to veg out with just memes and more funny things, but, you know, also and be able you know function along the same lines um, in the long run we hope that those will actually be communities where certain feeds can be maintained by by certain community members and that they would earn some sort of income for content that's rated and, and exposed through those feeds um, but but generally it's it's really about users being excited about seeing aggregated curated content across the web from one from one source um, that really drove us to do this on, on the side uh, I will stress the fact that you know re- remaining platform agnostic is super important to what we're doing long term, and really is what allowed us to grow you know significantly quickly and 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 provide a lot of value for users short term without having the network effects. Um, but you know, as as users ask for it, we'll definitely be building things like feeds and 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 curated um, content for them to consume directly from Yelp. Awesome, 
uh, by platform agnostic, do you mean uh, like, because I, I, I thought you guys were built on EOS and I kind of wanted to dive into why you guys chose. I mean, but I mean, actually, even before we get into like why you guys chose EOS, um, I mean, you decided not only to create an app, but a protocol with a token attached to it. Um, so maybe if you could explain why you went that route first um, and then, you know, why you chose EOS and then maybe is there some broader interoperability uh conversation to be had as well. Definitely. So when when we talk about platform agnostic, we're we're referring to the sites themselves. So we want you to still be using Twitter. We want you to still be using Yelp, but we want to enhance those experiences and we want you to be able to earn on them. We want you to be thinking about your reputation at stake when you're interacting with them, but really focus on on users still being able to use the products that they love across the web. And, and, And something that I think is is a, is a real benefit of, of building on a smart contract platform for that purpose. Um, and so, you know, uh, in our decision to build a protocol in addition to an app, you know, a big part of this is, is really changing the way that people think about social capital and trying to, uh, you know, decouple social capital from physical capital. And we felt that the only way to really do that is build a robust protocol that takes into account economic games and incentivizes users to rate things accurately regardless of the amount of money that they have. And so most of these other systems that you would see are really based on some sort of um, staking or, or betting, I would say. So you think about prediction markets or whatever. And, you know, Vitalik talks a lot about doing prediction markets for curating content. You know, in those cases, you really have money at stake. And the more money you have, the more influence that you have over the network. We're trying to move to a place where you actually have your reputation at stake so that when you rate things on Yelp and others disagree with you, you don't lose tokens, but you actually lose influence and you lose the opportunity to earn more tokens in the future. Um, that along with just essentially having like an inflation-based system, uh, which I think is very popular and, and the right way to go in terms of token economic incentives, really made sense for us to build a system like this. I think over the last couple of months, we've really prove, proven right about that, You know, seeing some of the uh, yield farming and, and liquidity mining stuff that's happening um, is, is really not far off from, from, from what we're doing. Uh, but really serves a much different purpose and and has physical capital at stake rather than social capital. So really, you know, just looking at those things and the way that we wanted to build it, we felt that an app would not be enough and we needed this robust protocol that, you know, prevents against civil attacks, prevents against collusion, pre- prevents against bribery uh, in ways that other decentralized social networks haven't been able to do. Um, and, and that that would be very important for us at, at the blockchain level. Um, we're big believers in data autonomy and we want users to be able to leverage their data as well. And I think for that reason, having a, a blockchain is very important. Um, the reason that we chose EOS is, you know, despite the fact that we're big believers in this sort of protocol on-chain approach, we are certain that this needs to be a, a project and a product for mainstream consumers. We want everybody to be able to use this. We want it to have a web to feel in the way that you interact with it. We, won't, we don't want to deal with a lot of the friction that comes with initial onboarding for non-crypto savvy users in many other platforms. And um, this has been the, at the core of what we do. And you know, there's, there's several like, strong business reasons to do this, besides the fact that we think it's the right thing to do. And as crypto people, we would, you know, we'd like to see the market expand. But A, you know, the market size is much larger if you can really tap into consumer social, even though it may be tempting early on to really focus on the crypto community. Um, And B, you know, really what we're trying to build here is a protocol that, you know, through social consensus represents influence 
accurately. And part of accuracy really has to do with diversity. And so, you know, when we look at our protocol, there's definitely a lot of incentives in being a first mover. And so we're very cautious of all of the first movers coming from one community. So if we only had crypto people on it, let's say for the first year, I think the kind of content that you would see, the way that influence is distributed would not be so far from something like Steam or Voice. And when we think about really representing influence across the web, it's very important for us that we cover diverse backgrounds, we cover influencers and nano influencers from other communities across the world, other languages, other cultures. You know, I mean, we don't want an Ivy League crypto, you know, distribution of influence. So, you know, with those things in mind, it's, it was very critical for us to not only um, uh, build a protocol, but in the way that we launch it and, and our target audience be something that's broad and diverse. Um, yeah. Fascinating, man. Really, really good stuff. And before we move into the closing questions, um, I'm kind of curious, just like outside of um, outside of Yup, what other like crypto projects or um, kind of ideas are you thinking about that are just really fast? I know you mentioned yield farming. Is there anything else that you think like, hey, that that's really attention grabbing? Yeah, definitely. You know, I would say in general, like the yield farming stuff and, and DeFi in general is something that I watch very closely, but myself, I'm not incredibly passionate about. I think that there's a lot of more interesting stuff really happening in the space. Um, I'm much more on the Web3 governance DAO side of things. Uh, for me, I think the most important project to follow right now is anything coming out of Protocol Labs. I'm just a very, very big fan of the things that they've done. I think that IPFS is, is the coolest thing since Ethereum. Um, and they have some work that they've done around um, reputation mechanisms that we find to be some of the most impressive in the space. So uh, they have they've also got Filecoin that they're releasing soon. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, Filecoin, which is apparently worth more than Ethereum at the current market cap, which is kind of crazy. But Holy speaks to how impressive this team is and, and really kind of the great work that they do. Um, their reputation mechanism work is not nearly as well known, but I think it, you know for our case is something that we definitely nerd out about. So they have this Sybil ID paper that they wrote that, that's a very interesting approach. And they have this source cred sort of open source reputation mechanism um, that they work with as well. So, you know, big fan of, of those kinds of things uh, and really watching those projects closely. Uh, I've been a big, you know, a big supporter and um, had the opportunity to advise and consult with uh, the team at Claros. I think that dispute resolution is something that's very interesting to me. Um, really trying to solve a lot of the last mile issues and and really, you know, for things like sharing economies and marketplaces to exist in a in a decentralized world, we do want some sort of distributed, sort of disintermediated um, dispute resolution. I think the team is really talented, a lot of economists, very interesting stuff and in, in sort of the way that they've tried to approach those things. And I think I think they've really taken like a, a calm, calculated, um, slow and steady wins the race approach uh, with the things that they've been doing. Yeah, big, big fan of that stuff. Very cool. Well, we just have a few more questions before we let you get back to your hard work uh, today, Nir. Who's one that. person you admire in the crypto space that's really had an influence on you, maybe more than anyone else? Yeah, I, I would have to say Santiago Siri uh, from Democracy Earth. Uh, I'm sure maybe you guys have heard of him, maybe not, um, but he's very involved with uh, um like radical exchange and anything that uh, Glenn Whale is working on, all the quadratic voting stuff that's going on. Uh, he was very involved with uh, the quadratic vote voting that happened with um, the Colorado uh, House of Representatives. So really super interesting stuff there that's really making it to the forefront. Um, he he started a, a 
uh, a party in Argentina, I believe in 2010, um, running on the platform that he would enact any law based on like the online consensus of Argentinians and really try to bring digital voting into the forefront uh, before crypto was even a thing. Um, he was working on a project called Woofy Bank, which is ridiculously like close to Yup, but just way early in its time, like 2011, um, and really has been a personal mentor of mine. I've had the opportunity to get breakfast with him plenty of times, and and really a lot of the things that I learned in the space um, uh, came from his insights. You know, particularly from a political standpoint, from a philosophical standpoint, um, you know, which is kind of the stuff that I'm really interested in. Um, he has this project now, Democracy Earth. For those that haven't tried it, highly recommend. It's on Ethereum. Um, it's it's similar to Aragon, but more social, where you really have a feed where you can survey and 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 ask referendums or other questions to any token holders of your token, um, and in general, just a you know superstar guy and superstar team. Um, yeah, I think he'd be wow. great for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd love I'd love uh, to get connected with him and and do a deep dive on Democracy Earth. That sounds awesome. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big deal, in my opinion. Cool. Uh, and then, yeah, the last question that we have, we ask everybody that comes on the show, and it's it's as simple as if this was the very first podcast that somebody was listening to who is just entering the crypto space today, what would you want them to know? I think I think the big message would be like blockchain is way bigger than finance, and I think really people who enter the space and don't know anything about it and are coming in during the ICO boom or, or now the sort of DeFi boom, you get the impression that really the value is from the currencies, the tokens, how you're able to trade them, maybe some, you know, some, from some financial uh, primitives around like investing, but really there's so much more to it and it's going to disrupt so many aspects of our lives. You know, I, I won't get into the specific ones, but I think if I had just one sentence message, it's like blockchain is bigger than, than cryptocurrencies, it's bigger than finance, really check out the technology as a whole. Um, and, and especially if you're passionate about some of these other aspects. So, yeah. Wow. I love that. That's actually, I mean, it seems so simple and so like obvious, but you're the first person to ever say anything even close to that. And you said it so concisely. So I love that. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I, I think that's important for people to know. Well, Nir, we really, really appreciate you spending this, uh, you know, half hour with us here on the Crypto 101 podcast. I really, really encourage anybody who is listening to go to yup.io. That's Y-U-P.io and check it out because this is going to be the future of social media um, and you guys are not going to want to miss out. So Nir, until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you guys. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.